Welcome to the First Pres podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. If you would like to worship with us in person, our services are Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, 10, and 11 o'clock. You can learn more about First Pres at www.first-pres.org. This is the word of the Lord. We're grateful. Well... Lord of my relationships. At my last uh, church in Atlanta, I was standing at the back door after a message and a friend came up and he said, Pastor, if you keep preaching like that, I'm going to have to buy some steel-toed boots. Now, even though I, uh, I have my family roots in Knoxville, Tennessee, sometimes I admit I would get a little lost with my deep south friends there in Atlanta, so... I looked at him and said, Mike, you're just going to have to tell me what that means. I have no idea what you're talking about. And he said, well, when you preach like that, you're stepping on my toes. And my toes are sore. And then after that, every now and then, uh, he would just walk by me at the back door of the church, and he would just look down and say, my toes are sore, Pastor. My toes are sore. (laughs) I was glad he didn't mean he was going to kick me. (laughs) In this office, in this preaching office, as we come before the word of the Lord, it's not my job to protect all the toes. In fact, it's, it's my job here, it's my primary job to tell you what's in this book. Or more accurately, for, for what's in this book to be received by all of us together to receive with you what's in this book and take it in with you as together we wrestle with it and allow the Word of God to work its way into our lives. And it's not always comfortable. Sometimes the truth of Scripture, it comes to us and feels like a long, cool drink of water. But sometimes the truth of Scripture, it feels like your soul is on the anvil and you're wondering how many blows it's going to take to get this life into shape. As we round the corner on the Ten Commandments, into the back half, headed for home, we get murder, adultery, theft, lying, and envy. That's a lot to look forward to. It makes me question the wisdom of, of, uh, of planning this series when we're trying to break into a growth pattern around here as a church. You might, you might think the next five weeks are a good time to take a little break. But listen, God is good. His truth is good. And it's even beautiful, even when it's hard to hear. As the Word speaks to us, we'll also know the grace and mercy of forgiveness. Remember, even as these commandments give us a view of virtue, they are ultimately there to drive us to repentance, to make us hit our knees and call out to Jesus our Savior. Every one of them is beyond us. Every one of these Ten Commandments is beyond us. But Christ has satisfied them all and calls us to forgiveness. His mercy leads to repentance and faith in Him leads to new life. The sixth commandment is this. You shall not murder. It's two words in Hebrew, 
don't murder. Easy. I've already had some people express some disappointment on, on one of the first five commandments, saying, darn it, Tim, that was the one I thought I had down. That was the one I thought I had in the bag. Well, here's one, two words, don't murder, and we'll see how we do, won't we? What is the value of a human life? What is a life worth? It would seem very easy to avoid breaking this commandment, just honor human life. It's a command against homicide, not against killing exactly. There's another Hebrew word for killing, and that's not this word. This word is for murder, for homicide, for intentional or unintentional destruction of life. This is important to note as, uh, as soldiers and police officers and others are in positions of authority where it's necessary to use force to, to protect others or to promote peace. And, and it's important to note a soldier is fulfilling his or her duty to use force to stop a defined enemy is not breaking this commandment, even if the enemy must be killed. It's not against killing per se, but murder. But then again, it is possible for a soldier to commit murder. Then again, it is possible for a police officer to commit murder. And the use of force must be exercised with extreme care, particularly when a life is at stake. What is the value of a human life? And who gets to decide? If one life is taken to defend 10 lives, is that a worthy sacrifice? How about 10,000 lives taken to defend 100,000 lives? Do we trade a life for a life? How do we measure in this sort of an economy? Montana State University held a convocation to begin the academic year just a few weeks ago. They gathered all the, f- the freshmen, all the first years, of one of which was my son, Jack, And so we were here for this event, and they brought in a speaker who was a a famous ethicist from the East Coast, and he gave a a really great talk. It was very entertaining, mostly because he would throw out these moral quandaries, and then he would allow the freshmen to debate them on microphones in front of, you know, the thousands of people gathered. So you never know what they were going to say, right? So you're on your toes, He asked them, if you were in San Francisco and you saw a runaway trolley headed toward a dozen workers fixing the tracks, would you jump in front of it to stop it? What do you think most people said? Come on, how many of you would jump in front of it? Go ahead. Raise your hand. Well, most people, most of these kids thought, sure, I'd try to jump in front of it. It's a a worthy sacrifice, one life to save a dozen. And then he said, well, what if you knew yourself to be too small to stop a runaway trolley, but the man standing next to you (laughs) was much larger and would almost certainly stop it? Would you push him? 
Now, this was a great moment because the principle's there. One life to save a dozen, it, it works. That's the calculus. So would you push this guy out onto the tracks? What would you do? Boy, this was fun to watch, uh, you know, 518-year-olds debating this question back and forth. Well, what is a life and why is a life valuable and how many lives are worth one life and why is my life worth more or worth less than this person next to me who could easily stop the trolley. And we watched them all debate all these things and, uh, and, and what it revealed to me as a pastor is that once we have lost our foundations in Scripture, you know, we're simply building castles in the sky made up of our opinions and our anecdotes and what makes us feel right. Our ethics is just some kind, of a, some kind of a castle in the sky and it blows away with the mist. We must have foundations in the Word of God. We who seek to follow Christ, we must make every effort to come to terms with what God has taught us in His Word. The act of murderously taking another life is an affront to God, who made all people, all people, regardless of position or place, regardless of race or nationality, regardless of wealth or status, all people, God made all people in His image, bearing His likeness. And so, all people carry on that basis a fundamental human and divine right to life. Because every person bears the image of God, their maker. Now, when does life begin? When does that right get conferred? Does such a right pertain, for example, to an unborn child? People sure disagree on this issue, and our culture has, has taken a certain direction. But the Bible shows us a God who has regard for the unborn child. In Scripture, God addresses unborn children again and again. He says to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I set you apart, or I set you apart in your mother's womb. The same is said of, of David in Psalm 139. And Jesus and John, you might remember, they leapt for joy when they were in each other's presence, even though they were still in Mary and Elizabeth's bellies as they visited together. Exodus 21, just one chapter after the one we're studying, mandates retribution against anyone who injures a pregnant woman's unborn child. Our culture has taken a different approach. And it can be very painful to, to realize once decisions have been made and courses of action have been taken in crisis, it can be very painful to realize that God's perspective may have been very different from our own at that time. Friends, there's grace. There is grace. There is forgiveness. There is mercy leading us to repentance. But we must come to terms with the Word of God. Well, when does life begin? When does life end? 
Well, that can become a difficult question. With these incredible advances of medical science, the, the medical community is able to keep a heart beating, to keep oxygen moving in the body, to keep biological systems going for weeks and even months on end. Is, is lying in a bed sustained by machines life? You know, things get confusing here. And friends, as a pastor and us on the pastoral team, we've been in many conversations. I can't tell you how many conversations as we're trying to sort out those precious moments. I encourage you to have healthy conversations, open conversations with loved ones around you about your wishes at the end of life. For me, it's pretty brass tacks. I just think, boy, I would rather pass on whatever wealth or money or resources the Lord has blessed me with to my children and, and Lord willing, grandchildren and my church than to have all of it go to the, you know, so-and-so medical group for, you know, for keeping me breathing uh, in some unconscious stupor on a bed for weeks on end. But boy, do those decisions get difficult. They get difficult. Honor life. Respect life. Be careful. Be thoughtful. Be prayerful about these decisions. That's what the sixth commandment requires. Our network of churches has a doctrinal statement for all officers, all elders and deacons and pastors. It's called the essential tenets. And it says the sixth commandment means to us to, quote, recognize and honor the image of God in every human being from conception to natural death. It means be careful to honor life. And it isn't only about intent to murder. It's also about death by negligence and, and carelessness. The sixth commandment is saying to us, in God's eyes, life is precious. Life is, is valuable. It's valuable. Even if not to you, it is valuable to God. So don't be careless with it. Don't be reckless with it. Don't dismiss it lightly. Well, if you've emerged unscathed by all that, and you're thinking, I've got this one in the bag. Just turn with me to Matthew, where our Lord Jesus takes it up again. Jesus doesn't relieve the requirements of respect for life. In fact, he doubles down. You have heard it said, he said, that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, just a common kind of a throwaway insult, raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, is in danger of fire and hell. Friends, for Jesus, it doesn't stop at homicide. It isn't just manslaughter and is it voluntary or involuntary for Jesus it begins in the heart he's talking about anger in the heart it's a, a passing insult a harsh word a, a dismissal of someone something that you may have thought very little of but in doing it and saying it and acting that way that person felt less than human they felt less than worthy of the same life that you have Jesus gets down to the heart to, to your heart where the very seeds 
and the roots and the tendrils are emerging that bring us to a place where life can be dismissed and destroyed. He gets to the seeds of it. And now we start to see what the commandment standard really is. The Heidelberg Catechism is an important document for our doctrine here at First Pres. It's a historical document from the Reformation. And it says this about the Sixth Commandment. It says, this commandment isn't just don't murder. It is, quote, that I am not to abuse, hate, injure, or kill my neighbor, either with thought or by word or gesture, much less by deed, whether by myself or through another, but to lay aside all desire for revenge, and that I do not harm myself or willfully expose myself to danger. Your life is precious. You don't risk it. This is why authorities, it says, are armed with the means to prevent murder. In forbidding murder, God means to teach us that he abhors the roots of murder, which is envy, hatred, anger, and desire for revenge, and that he regards all these as hidden murder. Is it enough then if we do not kill our neighbor in any of these ways? No. For when God condemns envy, hatred, and anger, he requires us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to show patience, peace, gentleness, mercy, and friendliness toward him, to prevent injury to him as much as we can, also to do good to our enemies. The holiness God requires Friends, the holiness God requires should push you to a Savior. Do you see what the standard is before us? Are you still unscathed? We are entertained by murder and death. Our movies and TVs and video games are full of them. I remember uh, I started my ministry just weeks after the Columbine shooting. And there was, at that time, a lot of attention given to violence on TV and in video games. And then over the last 20 years, between then and, and now, do you know that it has only increased? Up and up and up. It was only a few years after the Columbine shooting that a company that makes realistic corpses for Hollywood came out and said, we cannot keep up with demand. You see, it's, we're entertained by it. In 2018, our year, the American Psychiatric Association reports that by the age 18, a, a U.S. youth, an American kid, will have viewed on screens 16,000 simulated murders and 200,000 acts of violence. And there are all these sociological tests that reveal to us links between exposure to violence and added aggression in children. But kind of on we go. And I'm not trying to be a downer. Uh, my kids play all the same video games your kids play. But shouldn't we be stepping forward and, and teaching our kids what's at stake? It doesn't feel like we've got the spirit of this commandment down right now, does it? How about a company that profits from selling known carcinogens? or that dumps life-threatening chemicals into water tables with disregard 
for those around. How about, how about callousness toward refugees and their desperation as they're fleeing uh, their own cities and nations where they've been run out by violence and they're looking for hope? There are those groups of, of murderous, violent people out there, ISIS and Al-Qaeda, people who must be stopped. There are people with murder in their heart and in their eyes and in their intent, and they must be stopped. But, but we have to also ask, how might you and I unwittingly be participating in the disregard and loss of human life? Friends, none of us emerges unscathed from this one. And so you say, oh, man, pastor, I thought of 10, I at least had this one in the bag. But we don't. Lord, help us. Friends, our way forward is to have Jesus lead us out. Our way forward is to have Jesus as Lord of our relationships at every moment, at every turn. If Jesus says a passing word, a, a, a kind of throwaway a thought, gesture, insult to another, if Jesus is saying, in your heart, I see that as the seeds of murder, I see that as sin that's driving you away from God, if Jesus says a passing word is a seed of anger and murder in the human heart, well, what if I submit every thought, every gesture, every deed, every conversation to Jesus? Can he guide me? What if I include Jesus in every conversation? Do you know how you say some things in front of certain people, but then you would never say those things in front of somebody else, right? There's some things that you would talk about in front of your, your parents, your grandparents, or the pastor that you would never say in front, you know, and well, what if Jesus is present in every conversation, what if you include him, you allow his presence to be with you in every relationship? Oh, I'm going to need a lot of help here. This is going to take divine intervention, but here's the promise. If you're in Christ, he promises to send his Holy Spirit to dwell in your heart and guide and prompt your conscience. The Holy Spirit within you will begin to speak to you if you will listen to his voice. And the only way forward is to allow Jesus to be Lord of every relationship. Is Jesus there in your conversation? Because if a tiny word can be a curse, do you know a tiny word can be a blessing? If a tiny gesture can be a seed of hatred and anger, a tiny word, a tiny gesture can be a seed of life and hope. Is Jesus Lord of your relationships? That's why we need him there, because if he's not a constant presence, if I don't learn to listen to the Spirit of God, even as I'm listening and conversing with my neighbor, if I don't allow him to be there in my conversations, in my interactions with others, I'll be utterly lost. But Jesus is our guide. He's our guide, and he's worthy to be. Do you know why? Friends, because Jesus knows what it means to be on the receiving end of human hatred. Our Lord Jesus Christ knows what it is to be murdered. When Jesus was being delivered up to be killed, 
The Roman governor Pontius Pilate tried to appease the people by torturing Jesus publicly, but the crowd wanted death. In Matthew, we read, when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. We will be responsible for killing him. A few months later, Peter stood on the steps at Solomon's colonnade. And he said, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. Listen to this now. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. How deep is our sin? How deep is our sin between us and our God? What does it mean that Jesus bore our sins? We think, does, is it like he's some kind of a, a, a divine sort of ethereal abstract sponge soaking up sin in, in some philosophical way? Well, yes, and we think of it that way, but listen to me now. He also received our sin in his flesh. He bore our sin. He received human hatred and human rebellion and human destruction of life itself. He bore our sin in the form of blows and, and whippings and spit and nails. He bore our sin in his body on the cross, and by his stripes we are healed. He is eternally the murdered one who rose again and brings eternal life. And because of that, because of what he has accomplished, and I tell you today that anything that we have ever done to fail to live up to God's value of life, anything we have ever done, done to traipse across and break this commandment or any other, anything we have ever done to fall short of His holiness, it can this morning, right now, be forgiven. It can be forgiven by His grace and by His mercy because He spilled His blood for us on the cross. And there is nothing that you have done or considered doing. No matter how, how deep it feels, no matter how heavy it feels, no matter how egregious were your intentions to run away from God's purposes, even if it was accidental and unintended, but still it is yours, it can be forgiven. Praise Him and give Him glory. For he has made the sacrifice to cover all of our sins. And he's the one who can guide us home. He knows what it is to be eternally the one who has borne our sins in his flesh. And in his victory, we have eternal life. Hallelujah. Father God, 
as we address this together, as we absorb this together, as we follow your word together. We are so grateful both to see the truth and also to know that we can be forgiven and redeemed. Lord, help us to follow you in this care of life itself, that we can become not life takers, but in following you, Lord Jesus, and becoming more like you and knowing your grace and mercy and forgiveness, we can today and from this day forward become, in your name, givers of life. We pray it in the name of Jesus, who has purchased each one of us by his blood, and we thank you for him. And to his glory we pray, to the glory of the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. And the church together says, Amen. 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 Thanks for listening to our First Prez podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.first-prez.org.